Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. It's a new year and I'm delighted to announce that the well-known guide fly angler from Loch Harb, Tom Doc Sullivan, has joined the podcast as co-presenter. Tom, welcome. You're front of mic now and uh, asking the questions as well. As well, by the time we had an actual fly fishing expert, I think on the, on the show, maybe. Well, thank you very much, Dara. Yeah, well, until you get that expert, I'll fill in. I suppose the best way. So put the call out yeah, any no. experts <laughs> to come on the podcast, please. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. No, it's just really great. I'm really looking forward to this, and really looking forward to the whole show. I'm looking forward to the, the chance to get to to chat to people and from from all different avenues within the sport like outside of carb and outside from other places yeah really looking forward to that hour yeah and uh, yeah it's going to be interesting been uh having the mic so i'll see how i'll do i'll probably um I, i'll make one or two boo-boos i'm sure but you're hopefully it's all right I, I can edit i'm an i'm a good editor you're okay <laughs> no you want to be you want we're not to be. doing it as live anyway actually in fairness people would know you obviously from la carb um you know as a guide there um, you fish rivers as well, you're river angler as well. Um, brown trout are, for case people are wondering, like brown trout are your kind of species of choice, aren't they? Like? Trout, brown trout, trout is king. Any trout, I love any trout. Um, brown trout, yeah, like rainbow trout, like stockfish, love sea trout, love any trout. You know myself, my first preference is probably salmon angling, although your theory on that is you have to be a wealthy person to be a successful salmon angler. Well, it's not a theory. It's just I don't know that a lot of the successful salmon anglers I know are wealthy. So follow on down Actually, on that. do you know what I love is? Did you ever see that um, picture? I think it was in Trout and Salmon a couple of years ago. And it was the trout brain, the trout angler's brain and the salmon angler's brain. And actually, I'll, if I find it, I'll try to find it and put it up into the show yeah. notes. And so the trout angler's brain is like, you know, the different parts of it. And it's like dictionaries and entomology and all, you know latin terms and flies and all this kind of you know really complicated <laughs> yeah. stuff yeah and then it goes to the salmon angler cast step cast step <laughs> cast step <laughs> and that's it and that and that's one of the things to be honest you why i really like trout because i think and every not every time but virtually most of the time most of the time you catch trout you fool mm. because he's that fish has taken your fly because you presented it as uh, an item of food for him, more often than not. So uh, you fooled him. Whereas, you know, salmon, we still don't know why they take. But that's the magic of it. Because really, they're not that's feeding. That's the magic of it, like, you know. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, one man's magic is another man's. <laughs> step, cast, Something. step, cast. Yeah. Well, yeah. Look, step, don't cast. worry. With Tom here, we will be doing a lot of brown trout uh, episodes but we will still be doing salmon and we might even do a bit of pike you never know but back to today's episode um mike keady is who were uh, is joining us um, shortly we're going to be discussing early season fishing on loch carob um and he was he's a former irish captain and actually when we spoke to him he really you could really tell his passion when he was talking about competition angling that was really something like that he was uh, really proud of in terms of um the wins that they had in recent years wasn't that right tom doesn't it really come across yeah. actually really does it, you know he's i mean mike is a passionate fisherman but he's very passionate about his competition fishing and and rightly so like he's achieved a lot he's achieved a hell of a lot i mean he's discussed there he's two gold medals uh i have nine caps and i have no gold medal you know uh there are a lot of irish lads who fished internationally uh on the home internationals and don't have a gold medal and to top it all off then that 
that win on Lock Mask in the Home International 2018, like that was a phenomenal result. But you know, the the, the work that went into that, and I know because I saw them beforehand because it's just up the road for me. Um, so I would see them a lot when they were practicing, and I was out with them a couple of times. The work that they put in, I mean, they they really put in a huge amount of work, driven by Mike and a few other lads there within, and the team itself put in the work themselves. Like everybody put it in, and uh, they got the results, and it was really was um, well, it was a record result. It was a record win for Ireland, but it was yeah. it was fantastic. But no, he's very passionate. Yeah, about it. So yeah. you can hear some great insights, and also. Uh, primarily what we're talking about Mike, is really just you know opening season on the car but starting the 15th of February in a couple of weeks um you know Mike is going to get into that shortly in terms of techniques tactics um we kind of dabble a bit like about I suppose later in the season um but really the focus for for this episode is looking at the the opening day and the early season on carb and uh let's have a listen to uh, what Mike had to say you're just gearing up to get going and it's just uh, I suppose it's just getting out of January it's the spring it's you're kind of mad to get the 15th of February to just get out in the lake and you know so um and do you do any fishing at all before because obviously there's different places open in January Mike is uh, or do you not wait? really not really sometimes but um you might do a bit of you know maybe some pike fishing or maybe do some stock lakes but you know, it depends really. Not really, to be honest, a huge amount, you know. Once kind of October comes in, really, you're kind of sorting out boats and you have plenty to be doing. And so it's more so you're kind of gearing yourself back for February again to get started, you know. You know, when you get out, like, is there many anglers out? Is it kind of a bit of just, like I said, people just looking to kind of, you know, cast the line? Are, are you going in, in hope rather than expectation? No, nah, no, you get a lot of people on the opening day normally. It's very traditional and, you know, everybody, you get a lot of lads opening day and you mightn't see them again for a while. We'll put it that way. <laughs> but um, for most of the regular guys, they're just, they're just looking forward to getting going and they're just looking forward to getting out. So, you know, I look at it. It's, it's, it can be tough. It can be slow. You know, it's, it's all down to the weather. It's all down to the conditions and the weather at the at the end of the day, you know, no matter what you're doing, early season, you early always find you're going to get that little window during the day at some stage where the temperatures just pick up that little bit, maybe for an hour or whatever, and you'll actually get fish moving that little bit better. And you know, it's it's like obviously, you know, with a cold-blooded animal, you're talking about, you know. You know, one degree of temperature makes a huge difference, you know what I mean, and how active they are and inactive they are. So, you know. Have you seen any kind of change with the conditions around opening day in recent years? Like? You can say so, but like, you, you know, you can, like, if you if you want to get into the whole climate change thing, you can say, oh, you know, it's like this year is so mild, it's so dry, it's unusual. It's But, you know, you go back last year then, and I mean, in most areas of the lake, probably by March, by by Paddy's day and just after the day or so after, you were most parts of the lake, you were actually you had duck fly hatching, you had people catching fish on duck fly. That's unusual. It's it's actually a bit early, you know what I mean? So, like, you know, every year is different at all. Uh, there's a huge amount of variables to take into account. You know what I mean? The winter you've had, how cold it was, how much rain you've had, how little rain you've had how much snow you've had that has actually, you know, come in, come into the, um, come into the water and cooled it down. There's so many variables to take into account. It, it's very hard to, 
say, oh, there's a definite pattern here, you know? There are so many variables that even as it goes on in the last couple of years, like we're talking about the, the early duck fly there last year, Mike, but then you remember what happened at the end of March, early April, when that cold spell came in. Yeah. And we've had that over the last couple of seasons, that cold spell mm-hmm. around March, April, early May. And that, yeah. when you get that, as you know, it just, just it, it changes everything. Changes yeah, everything. Yeah, it kills it. It kills yeah. it for a while, you see. That's the thing, you know, so. And even, I remember Tom, uh, like, I think I was out at Mayfly time with you twice. <laughs> and it was freezing yeah. cold, windy rain. And, you know, I talked, you know, the first question I asked you, Mike, was about the Mayfly season. And again, you kind of have this picture of, you know, lovely weather, calm conditions. It's the start of summer. The boats are out. We're dapping. We're having enjoying the life. And <laughs> my God, it was like it was like a winter's kind of day that I was out. Like, and I, I think yeah, that was the yeah. end of May. Like, nearly like. So. Yeah, yeah. Can I? Yeah, the la- there has been a couple of years there. Last year, especially there, it was well into May before we got mm. any kind of heat altogether. You know, and funny mm. enough, we've you know you've got that, and then what you do is you get spelled in really hot weather. You know, like last year there, we got kind of, a, you know, and then that really kind of like goes from one extreme nearly to the other straight away, you know, and, you know, I suppose there is if probably a bit more extremes in weather, I suppose, in the last few years, you know. Yeah, 100%. And Tom, just to bring it back to kind of opening day, um, do you have anglers come down that you guide for, like in those opening kind of days or weeks? or From the guiding side, I remember... A couple of years ago, I started bringing guys out in February and I've stopped it. Just too hard? Basically, yeah. yeah. Uh, unless they're regular clients and just want to get a day out. There's no guarantee of fly. There's no guarantee of anything. You can't guarantee any type of weather. You don't know what you're going to get. I remember one time I was guiding um, about the 20th of February and it was flat cam all day. Flat cam, the boat didn't move. So we were just stuck in the same place and you couldn't fish dries. There was no buzzers to fish. So no, nah, it's just not. Um, but for the main reason will be mainly, and Mike would know it as well, like we live close to the lake here. And most of the time, the weather is such at that stage that you wouldn't want to be going out. You know, so we don't. But we get, because we're close, we can get out. Let's say if the weather was bad on Saturday, we might get out on the Sunday. Do you know what I mean? But if somebody's booked to come down on a Saturday, you could be, you know, you could be, Three or four degrees, northwest, hail showers, uh, snow on the mountains. It's very hard, like, one way, one way or the other. Like, yeah. You're really selling it so far in the episode. Uh, <laughs> early, early. <laughs> yeah, I really am. Yeah, there, I, tell you. <laughs> I, I don't know. What, what, what I'm trying to say about that is, I mean, like, I'll start, if the weather goes right, it's well worth it. I think so. Uh, but you've just got to be prepared. That it's it's a it's a precarious time of the year, and like okay. you said, if you live close by, all the better. Like that, you can take advantage of the conditions. Like yeah, 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 mm. yeah. You can pick your day. You know, you can you can you know as Tom said there, like like early season is like you know if you get nice weather, if you get nice weather and a nice day, and you know you might get that few hours that you know fish will move where yeah you know. But if you're out yeah. a day and if like the it's like it never gets it's going to be cold you can gear for that but if it rains i mean it's it's a nightmare out there, to be honest with you it is it's it nothing worse than cold and wet like it is you know if it stays dry you can handle it and you can deal with it but like if you've got bad old kind of weather and it's cold and then it rains it is it's rotten to be honest with you but you know like 
if you're there, you can kind of judge the days, you can kind of, you know, work around that. But, you know, if you're doing any kind of traveling or planning, it's very hard to do that early season, in fairness. You know? yeah. The only thing I could say is you could go on it, and I suppose I will try and hype it up now, is, for the <laughs> for, well, for the last couple of weeks, the temperatures hasn't been low. So the water temperature is going to be high. We'll probably get on to yeah, this. It's been very mild, yeah, hasn't it? We'll probably get on to this later. Mm. And the water temperature is crucial. And what Mike touched on there is so true as well. Uh, if you get a decent day, like you, this time of the year, you won't get hours upon hours of action, but they do come on. And they definitely do. My, you know, it could be half an hour, an hour, it could be two or three hours. But at the moment, with that water temperature up higher, yeah, so I, I like for example now, the way it stands at the moment, I'd be quite hopeful. I'd be quite hopeful that there'll be a bit of action. Kind of decent fish at that time of year, or yeah, yeah. Oh god, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've often myself and Mike have often said this. Not all the fish spawn. Not all the fish spawn. Quite often, you'll get fish that haven't spawned that are in absolutely perfect condition. You will get fish that have um, have spawned as well, but a lot of them can be quite well mended. Um, so Mike, we're talking about this, were we, Mike, about um, the fact that the the, the fish on a lot of rivers in the Carb they actually spawn quite early. Yeah, yeah. Most fish probably by probably early November will yeah. will have spawned if they have the water to run. You know what I mean? So, and I think you'd often see it, like you know, with fish that you'll see that you know fish will run in October if. And the next thing you'd say, God, fish run very early. And the next thing you just get a dry spell of weather in November. Like, you know what I mean? So, you know, nature looks after itself too, to a certain amount, you know, so in that, in that point of view. But like Tom said there, I would say like, like not every fish in the lake goes to spawn every year, you know, so a percentage of them do, you know. So like, you know, you have fish in the lake that haven't gone to spawn. They're, they're in perfect condition. They, you know, you know the fish that have, you know what I mean? You know a fish that is, you know, you know, on the way back, that is, you know, is you know has spawned earlier on. You know, you know by the condition of them anyway for a start. You know, what are the telltale signs, Mike, on a fish that has spawned? What would you mean? Slatty, look at them really, Tom. To be honest with you, like this is the main thing. You know what I mean? They'll be poor condition and slatty, and you know, they'll you know they'll be dark. In most cases, they'll be dark, and if it's a cockfish, you can see like the kite is still there. It's not fully gone. It's yeah. not fully gone back, and you know. All pointers like yeah. that, to be honest, which is you, you know, no fairly fast the difference, you know. That's the thing. Like, and then one, and then one that hasn't spawned is the exact opposite, yeah. One that is the exact opposite. He's big and strong and full and right across the shoulders and everything. Do you know what I mean? He's going to be, yeah, yeah. Let you know straight away. <laughs> like, what kind of size would you be talking? Then? Just on average, it depends what part of the lake you're fishing. You know what I mean? But like, if you're down the down the lake, down the lower lake, we'll say we'll say from. Lee's Island down, I always call the low, you know, kind of the lower part of the lake. Like you get an average, a bigger average size of fish than you build up the lake, you know. Why so is that, Mike? Just feeding, I'd say. Just basically, like you're talking about shallower from from that part of the lake down, but say not furry area down, I you'll find it hard to get 20 foot of water. Do you know what I mean? So that'd be deep. So up the you know towards up the lake and you know it's, it's just I suppose there's just more feeding it's there's just more fly life there's more there's more going on in areas you know so um whereas up the lake it's a bit more open water and deeper water and you know I think fish just you know what I mean search around a lot more you know 
What do, what would you reckon the average size would be so south of Lees then? Like two pound plus. Down hmm? two pound plus, that's a yeah. 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 It'd be average. And that's and like you're talking average. Average, then. yeah. Very average. Yeah. So like whereas up we'd say up the lake, I'd say probably pound a quarter, do you know what I mean? It'd be an average fish, do you know what I mean? So pound a quarter maybe a bit better. That's you know, but it's just down to it's just down to areas too at the end of the day. You know what I mean? It's like obviously if there's if there's feeding there and there's bulk there, you know what I mean? Fish are gonna, you know what I mean, bulk up a bit more, you know what I mean? Then where they're gonna have to move around a bit more for their stuff, you know. And so does that mean then like lower lake would be better in terms of early season? Like um early season, yeah, but you're looking at kind of for early season, you're looking really at shallows. You wouldn't want to be fishing in much more than max about 12 15 foot of water like max and a lot of cases if you have if you have high water you really want to be fishing right on the shallows i mean you'd be amazed where you can get a fish sometimes in in the spring you actually would pull your flies across yeah the top of shallows and the next thing out of the blue you know what i mean you could get a trout in a foot of water at times i i I fish with mike down the lower leg, the early season, and you know, the boat, some of the some of the ground we're going in over, you know, the boat the boat is scraping on rocks, boat is scraping on rocks, and you're getting in, and it's it's really interesting because the territory is different. Uh, Just bad boat yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I wasn't going to say that, Mike. I wasn't going to say that. Um, so you be just in on top of them and as Mike says you'd be surprised where you pull a fish out of surprised where you pull a fish out of so you know um, definitely what you're saying there Mike if you're in deeper water to 1250 yeah I think you're you're at nothing yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't be fishing in anything more than max 15 feet in the spring and why is that so just yeah. from a kind of simplistic kind of question is is because the deeper the water it's colder at that time of year the fish aren't going to be going down there they're heading up to the heat where the yeah fl- I think if the fish are down there they're not they're not moving there is fish there, but obviously with the cold, as I said, you know what I mean, temperature-wise and all the rest of it, they're just they're just going to be just basically lethargic and they're not really going to move, you know, unless a fly actually came within inches of their nose, maybe they might, you know what I mean, have a go at it. But, you know, if you get fish up feeding in shallower water, you know, <clears throat> ideally what I like to see is maybe the maybe just before the season starts, even a week or two before the season starts, actually, if you got a lot of rain and the, and the lake actually rises, even, you know, substantial amount of foot or more even. And it's amazing all that water, like the all that area that's covered with water. And that will draw fish in. That will draw fish into those areas because it's like a lot of that has grass on it and all the rest of it and skegs and islands and whatever else. And, you know, we've often caught fish in the spring where, like, you can actually see and their, their nose is, is completely all red raw here from actually being in our own rocks and scrunching out. Them. Because yeah. when, when the lake has risen, they're opportunists at the end of the day. They're, they're going to move into those areas where they can feed from fresh ground and that has, you know, maybe a certain amount of, you know what I mean, whatever life on it, do you know what I mean? And then it's covered all of a sudden. So that's all... That's all new, fresh ground. You'll actually, you you'll catch fish in shallow water there, and their their noses are just pure red from just noses down in around in around the gravel and that, you know. 
very interesting what you said there, Mike, about the, the deep water as well, and if they're in grubbing. But I always think, like, if a fish is in grubbing at 15 foot of water, he's not going, and your fly is up at the top. Yeah, he's, he's not, not going to travel. Yeah. He's not going to travel 15 foot to take one fly and then go down again. Mm. Whereas if you're casting, as Mike is saying, where you can see the rocks, you can see a bit of grass, and your flies are in a foot and a half to two foot depth of water, if a fish is grubbing at the bottom there, he's going to look up. It might only be a foot for him to go for that fly. So it's worth his while. He's not going to expend much energy. Yeah. And if he's in around there, he's feeding as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? He is feeding. So like if a fish is feeding, you have a good chance of him having a go at something that passes by. You know, because he's in that mode as well. So what do you reckon they're on in the shallows there, Mike? Arab hoglows predominantly, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's predominantly hoglows and carob, like that they will be, do you know what I mean? If you if you spoon a fish, it'd be 99% hoglows. You get some with fry, whatever, but like between fry and hoglows, there isn't a whole lot. Uh, yeah, a bit of shrimp, but like shrimp yeah. wouldn't be the predominant, you know, in areas you get more shrimp in some areas, yeah. sandy areas and stuff like that, than you would, you know. You know, on mask is different than I found on mask that when we were there before the international in 18, we done that. We done. I spent a lot of time on it before that. And and the strange thing in mask is there's a lot more snail in mask. Trout feed an awful lot more on on snails in in the shallows than than they do on carob. You know, which I found. Would you think is? Would you think? Would you think there might be as there isn't as many snail in the carob? So, uh, I don't well. Obviously, from the fact that you're not getting them in fish, I'd say, yeah, you know what I mean. I, I wouldn't think there's as much, you know what I mean. Mm. Not, not a big dietary item for them anyway. So, I yeah. imagine if there was, there would, uh, if there were there, I'd, I'd imagine to be feeding on them, you know. But there's definitely more, uh, whatever. Just there's definitely more snail in the in the fish in in, in mass than in carob, you know. And with that, did you find then with the snails? It'll be a different pattern to what you'd be using for the hoglows. Mm, yeah, in a lot of cases, yeah, we found more kind of even well say snail type patterns, even kind of like dark dabblers, like sooty olive dabblers and black dabblers and stuff like that was coming to the fore a bit. You know what I mean? And like the snails would be, would be that kind of coloration, like a dark sooty or you know blackish, yeah. you know, dark color. Yeah. And what and a point of just interesting there. So for the hoglows, let's say. For here, what shades of, and I suppose we've sort of jumped there. It's generally, I know both Mike and I are great fans of the Dabbler in early season. Uh, but for Hoglice, what's your favourite shade of Dabbler? Probably Hair's Ear. Hair's Ear Dabbler works well. Um, yeah. Small Hair's Ear Mudders and stuff like that. Um, yeah. They work well. Um, again, then, like, to be honest with you, like, it's you have the whole range of stuff you have to... Golden olive turrets, silver dabblers, you know what I mean? Things like that. If you can't go too far wrong, you know. What's the setup, the fly setup, Mike? Is it three flies you're using or uh yeah, early season, pretty much three flies spaced about five foot apart, five, six foot apart, you know. Um lines. What are you telling me before, Mike? Tell me before, maybe another time we might discuss it again. The work he did uh on the international mask or the the difference between three and four flies yeah yeah we did we 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 as i said to you we were we, we spent a lot of time the team we like in fairness to the guys we spent a lot of time on mask before the international we we literally left no stone unturned yeah um 
and we did a lot we did a lot of work right down even to your your space and your leaders and types of leaders and all the rest of it you know and we actually found for fishing on the shallows we actually found that actually a three fly cast overall was better than a four fly cast yeah I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah, really we did, and we actually found that out. Or we found that out over time, and we tried it with different different boats. Like with guys, we actually even down to that, we actually we had it down that fine. To be honest with you, that we actually even you know ruled out leader setups, like so that we had it. It was probably it was great to be able to do that because you had you had let's say you had fourteen guys, sixteen guys out fishing mm. every day, mm. so you were able to collect the data back from that. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah just, we just found for the international, we, we found a tree fly cast spaced about five feet apart was about the best. I think, first of all, because you're on shallow water, um, it's not as spooky. Um, four flies closer together is probably a bit more off-putting. Um, and we found, funny enough, that we found a fast glass line uh, in cloud. Cloudy days, fast glass line was probably fast, the best. Fast intermediate, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we found that if it was anyway sunny, because the way the weather was at the time in the spring, it was kind of like you got you got kind of some days it was windy but sunny, uh, and there were tough enough conditions. And we found if we went on to a di tree sweep, that um, that was the best line for if it got sunny. So we had to kind of like pretty much that we knew our leader set up. We knew if it was cloudy, we were better off on a fast glass line. We knew if it was if the sun came out, we switched to a tree sweep. So. You know, from that point of view, I think everybody was happy that, you know, but look, that's that varies over time. That was then, you know, so. But just remind people, Mike, how you did on the competition. Uh, we won it by a substantial amount. <laughs> <laughs> the homework paid off. Practice pays by, off, by, obviously. By how much? Uh, we won by, I think it was 20 fish. Yeah. So which 20 fish, it doesn't sound a lot, but international and wild fishery is quite a lot. So it was actually the biggest win and margin of an Irish team ever. Um, yeah. yeah, I think prior to that, I think it was Loch Leven in Scotland uh, in 1952. I think Ireland won by six fish. So, um, so it was substantial. It was a substantial win in fairness, you know. But in fairness, everybody done a lot of work. Yeah, but 20 fish as well, like, but also as well, 20 fish from a low number because how many fish had Ireland? Uh, 45. 45, so like yeah. um, next to you is what, 25 foot? 25, yeah. yeah so. And was that the last one before the pandemic, 2018? Uh, no, no, it was the second last one before the pandemic. Um, we actually, there was uh, international, the way they do it, the way they work there is um, you have Ireland in the spring and you have, it's Wales, sorry, Ireland and Wales. So Ireland in the spring, Wales in the autumn. And then the following year, you have England in the spring and you have Scotland in the autumn. Hopefully this year now, I think it was just, just in the last day or so, they decided that I think the internationals are going ahead this year. Um, so actually the spring one is in Loch Melvin in June. So, you know, in fairness, they have a good team of lads and, you know, we'd be very hopeful for a going middle there, you know. Jesus, no pressure. <laughs> no, no pressure. Yeah, well, actually in the last one in 2019 at Mentee, and the Irish team won it in Scotland. I was lucky enough that I was on that team. And uh, Mark McGurian was captain from Leinster. And um, we won the gold medal in Scotland. And it's the first time in 22 years that Ireland actually won away from home. So it was a fairly momentous 
achievement you know we a lot of guys uh, have been on teams including myself for the last number of years and yep <laughs> come close but we haven't we haven't had that elusive win you what know? do you put it down to Mike because obviously I can understand when you're when you're on a home water you get to do more homework you know you can exactly so, yeah like in terms of the success abroad like what do you what do you put it down to like ah uh, I, I in fairness to in fairness to the lads in Ireland, everybody has put massive effort in over the years, the last, would say, 10 years or so. You know, guys are concentrating more. Like, when you go to England and Scotland and Wales, you're fishing on a stock fishery, a reservoir or whatever. It's all for pretty much for rainbows most of the time. You know, stock fish tactics are completely different than they are here at home. And, <clears throat> you know, it, it it's harder for us because we don't do that kind of fishing as day-to-day where... The guys over there do. That's their bread and butter fishing. Yeah. That's what they do all the time. That's their technique. We're, all, we're always at a bit of a loss, really. Yeah. So, but in fairness, like there is a there is a good core of anglers there. In fairness, from over the years that have stuck it out. You know, they have gone over fish competitions in the UK. You know, they have kept up to date with materials. You know, techniques. You know, so I mean, it was a kind of a a little bit of a perfect storm in a way. Um, we had a very good team. A uh, very experienced team. Um, all the guys knew their stuff. Most of them were very experienced to fishing in, U- in the UK. A lot of us were very experienced to fishing in the Lake of Menteith in Scotland. We'd fished there a number of times before. I had it earmarked a long time ago as, you know, the place where we had a chance to win the gold medal. It really taught it suited an Irish team if we just got everything, if everything came together for us, you know. So, we went out there. We went out there on a pretty tough day. I'll be honest with you. It was for September. It was actually like a day in the middle of summer. We got really hot temperatures, pretty much flat cam conditions all day. And I think it actually stood to us because Irish lads are used to hard fishing. Yeah. And, you know, it was hard. Do the opening of the car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like 15th of February all yeah. over again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that stood to us as a team because the Irish guys will trash it out. They'll stick it out. You know that you know the guy in the boat with you. He's getting edgy. He's not catching. He's he's he 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 doesn't know what to do. He's panicking. You know, and you know what you're doing is right, and you just know you're just gonna. It's a bit slower, but you know you're going to get them, and you're going to get them, and you're going to get them. So, you know what I mean. And I think the more you get in, it might take four hours, but in four hours you might have three fish, and he doesn't have any fish. You know, he's ready to jump out in the boat at that stage. Like whereas you're just, you know keeping the head sticking it out grinding it out like so it was a bit of a grind out day which did stand to us but you know what i mean it was a fantastic achievement as well you know what i mean and yeah, it, it was it was, it was for really me good. it was a very special one it was nice to be part of it and you know i had a long had a lot of internationals on at that stage and as i said we had come very close and we had a couple of seconds over the years we'd you know we were we were knocking on the door but we weren't just getting it open and it was nice that even I have to say, now it was, you know, it was a special one. Just to to get that going middle away from home is was just something very special to be part of, you know. Um, just while we're talking about competitions, uh, Mike, how did you get into? And Tom, am I right in saying you fished competition? Like, were you international or before as well? Yeah, in fact, Mike and I both got our first cap together. Actually, oh, you yeah. Got your, oh, yeah, so we did. Yeah, sorry, you did. Sweden, right? yeah. <laughs> Uh, over 20 years ago now. Back in the day. 2001 <laughs> Sweden. Yeah, back in the day. Yeah. So, yeah. What, what, so what leads you, and that's for both of you, is it really is, 
going down the competition route like because it might put off some people in terms of but now obviously from like what i've seen and read it really makes you such a better angler because you're having to you know really refine your technique and your tactics and you're trying to see what's going on what's you know working in other countries and all that kind of place so if you really want to take your fishing to another level it seems to really help that competition fishing would you say yeah i think i think it does um it's not everybody's cup of tea i mean you know that as well mike there's Mm -hmm. a lot of lads we know that aren't into it but you know we've made a lot of friends over us that's one of the things but yeah it's god i what drove me to us i i tell you one thing that drove me to it and keeps me to it is the social aspect of it yeah uh, and that's a that's a huge thing i really like going to competitions and and now hopefully uh with this year or fingers crossed that everything is going to keep going the way uh we could back fishing competitions again and i'm looking forward to that you know I think it's the whole social thing as well. Yeah, you do. It's you get a group of lads there and you meet them in a lot of different places. And you know what I mean? It is nice. And there is, you know, everybody goes out to do their best. But look, at the end of the day, you know, you have your day, you have your run, you know, whatever else. But like, you know, I think everybody respects that as well. And, you know, look, at you, you, you kind of get into that scene. I think it does. It, it, it sharpens you definitely. Like, you know what I mean? And, you know, I think you're more in tune with what's going on around you and you're watching for what's going on around you as well, you know, and things like mm-hmm. that. And it's not, Tom said, it's not everybody's seen. Some people just like to go and do their bit of fishing and just relax. And that's, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that either. You know, is it, um, when you're fishing at that level, um, like, is there a lot of work, homework you have to put into it? You know what I mean? Like, does, so, so you have on one stage, you know, you have fellas like myself, just, you know, like fishing and the social and the relaxing side of it. But then when you're kind of having to push yourself, you know, does it become more than, you know, you're having to work at it, if you know what I mean? Yeah, there is a certain amount of that to it. You know what I mean? I suppose the weeks turn into months and, you know, so but in that way, like, but you're kind of looking at what's the next competition, what's the next, you know, and you mean a certain amount of days practice before it and all the rest of it. There is a lot of commitment to it, but, you know, there is a lot of fun to it as well. Do you know what I mean? It's if you're doing something you like, it's, I think that's the key thing. Do you know what I mean? If you're not, don't like it, you're obviously not yeah. going to do it. You know what I mean. Yeah. So, it's not your cu- if it's not your cup of tea, grand. No yeah. bother. But you know things that Mike say. And like a day's practice is a day's fishing. Yeah. <laughs> and I can tell you, you some good. You meet some great characters at it, and there is, I, I, you know I, what I mean. And there, really you know, do. You know, I think everybody at the end of the day, you know, just looks. You know what I mean. I think everyone appreciates the work everybody else does as well. You know what I mean. And. You know what I mean? Somebody has to win. Someone has to lose. You know what I mean? That's that's life. <laughs> and it must be great, like getting the caps. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, um, yeah. it is. But you know, it takes over a lot of time as well. To be honest, which I'd be kind of, I kind of said there. Now, twenty nineteen, that was kind of it for me, and it pretty much is. To be honest with you, you know what I mean? I I was stood on the shore of the lake in Mintheat on that evening, and the sun was absolutely going down, and it was shining, and we were after winning gold. And you know, I said to myself. I'm glad I stuck this last one out, but you know what I mean? I says, I, I'd be happy. I said, if I'd never seen another one, that would, I'd be happy. You know what I mean? I wouldn't, internationals is probably, uh, for me anyway, probably the, the pinnacle. It's the hardest you're ever going to fish on a day. And I have never went into an international that I didn't give 110% that. I always say, if you're able to stand up in the even time getting out of the boat, then you haven't fished hard enough that day. So, you're doing it for your country at the end of the day. It's a great honour to be on an Irish team and, you know what I mean? But then, 
that takes a toll over the years as well. So I have enough of it done now. Thanks. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> so, as far as I'm concerned, you know what I mean? I, I fished the qualifiers and I fished the, uh, you know, I've, I I like the banter. I like the crack and I, I fished the national. I fished the interpro and stuff like that, like going forward. But to be honest with you, I've, from an international point of view, I've just, I wouldn't, I have enough of it done. I, in my own view, I have enough of it done. And I'm happy I done 10 home internationals, a couple of worlds. So, I said 10 home internationals, there was two top Irish rods, was captain of an Irish team, winning an Irish team, and two gold medals. So, look, do you know what I mean? That's good enough for me. Yeah, you know, some people say, oh, I'd love to win the brown bowl, I'd love to win the top overall individual. You know, yeah, you would, everybody would, but only one person's going to do that in every international. And do you know what I mean? If you've got the look on the day and things go right for you, do you know what I mean? There's, you know, you could fish. You could fish 100 internationals and not win the brown bowl at the end of the day as well, you know. So you'd like to see more young lads, to be honest, with you getting involved. That's the biggest thing I see. The age profile is going the wrong direction, do you know what I mean? And, you know, um, there isn't, I don't think there's enough kind of younger lads coming through in fishing, like from that point of view, you know, from that level, like, you know. Is it getting harder, do you think, um, because the fishing's getting harder you know what i mean it's not like like i have i've two young boys that i bring fishing and you know the river shore is nearby like it's tough you mm. need to you know what i mean and i i prefer bringing them to the um the stock lakes because they'll see a fish and they'll catch a lake or catch a fish there whereas i bring them wild fishing on the river it can be tough and you kind of got to know what you're doing you know it's not the kind of best introduction for kids shall we say so i'm just wondering in terms of if it's getting more difficult to catch on the lakes and other rivers, is it therefore harder to get that kind of younger generation into it? I think there's just other things. I, I just think there's so much probably available now and so much other things that, you know, young lads are involved in and all the rest of it. I don't know if there's as much interest in somebody. You know, I think people before maybe just fish more. I don't know. It's very hard to know, to be honest with you. Like, you know what I mean? And there's a I lot. Think, yeah. What you're saying there is right, Mike. There's a lot more. Like, I know. Uh, like for example, when I was growing up in the village here in Cardamona, um, you you know you could play Gaelic football, or you went fishing. There you know there, there wasn't a lot of you know there was there wasn't anything else organised. But like there's so much going on now. You know there, there's soccer tra- you know there's chance for soccer, chance for rugby, football. There's mountain biking. There's kayaking. There's 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 all so many other things that kids can do outdoors now if one of the few things that was there there was fishing more more lads were trying it out more more people uh girls and and guys uh but there's there's more competition out there for outdoor pursuits yeah, now it's good you know? yeah more i gotta say more competition for their attention is the way mm-hmm. to look at it like um just before we wrap up mike in terms of um and maybe just to bring it back to kind of carb and, and february actually one thing i was curious and maybe actually tom you might know how come carb always opened that bit earlier well one thing that we just discussed there is probably the fact that the, because the trout spawned earlier as a rule here that they were in better condition and like to be honest yeah actually it used to open on the first of february yeah and they brought it yeah but i remember my dad telling me that and that that was I don't know if he actually ever fished on the 1st of February, but he, he knew at one stage it was the 1st of February. Um, but it's uh, the 15th here, the 15th and Mask, and I think Khan is the only one, the other one that's 15th. Uh, then nearly virtually all the other lakes are at least 1st of March. You know, But the, what I put it down to is um, probably that the fish were in better condition than having spawned that bit earlier. 
And I suppose then just in terms of, um, you know, for looking ahead, really, like like you said, just to kind of wrap up on it then, Mike, it's, it's really for people just to, you know, dust down the cobwebs, um, see what the conditions are like in the kind of opening weeks, take advantage of the opportunity if it's there, if you can. Oh, yeah, it is. I think, look, most guys chomping at the bit to get out. Do you know what I mean? So everyone gets out in the lake. Like you'll see, as I said to you, you'll see lads out in the open day and they mightn't go fishing again till Paddy's day. Do you know what I mean? Paddy's after true. and you know, a lot of people fly fishing traditionally Paddy's day kind of on. People say, I suppose there's a certain logic to that that, you know, shortly after that, you're going to have duck fly. You're going to have actual fly life. You're going to have fish moving on top of the water. I suppose it's more ties in with the whole fly fishing you know um but like that's not to say that you know if you get out there in february you can't catch fish in the fly a lot of people do it's not everybody's cup of tea you know in a lot of cases it can be hard work but you know whether you're on the shallows pulling wets or whatever you're in a bit deeper water with minkies or humonguses or whatever and but you know you will get your fish it's just it there isn't some days you might have a Great day. Other days, you might struggle for a fish or two. But I think, to be honest with you, people are just kind of happy to be out, get back on the water, get going again. You know what I mean? I think that's the key thing, you know. So, um, is you know, you'll see most, like, guys that are, you know, into their fishing. You'll see the most weekends out in the lake from the 15th of February, you know. So, um, no matter what they're doing, whether they're doing a bit of trolling or doing a bit of casting or whatever, you know. And you got other people that, you know, it's again, it's basically whatever you're into, you know what I mean? Some people might come out the opening day, do a bit of trolling, a bit of bricking fishing, they might do another day till into March, do you know what I mean? So, and actually, just so you mentioned the trolling and the brickings, Tom, you were mentioning that as well. Um, is that something you used to do as well? And tell us a bit about that, yeah, still do a bit of that. Uh, basically, bricking is uh, it's using a minnow, uh, trolling it, uh, you troll it, it's dead course and um you mount it uh on special mounts and there's a whole science behind them as well and you basically you troll them now you can troll anything early season control anything but there is something about uh the brickine that the trout do like and like to be honest with you, there was a whole professional fishery run on the car years ago you know the, 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 they used to go trolling the early season for the fish that were essentially exported mm. to London. Was that kind of it? Like that was. Yeah, yeah. There was one month, I think, um, there was a fish market out of Uchtherard. And I had the thing there somewhere, but like over an 11 year period from 1904 to just before the First World War, there was 50 tonne of trolls sold out of Uchtherard. 50 tonne. And quantified there in the fish house records and one of the months in the february of 1911 there was uh, over a ton of trout in that month oh and they were earning i remember looking it up that the, the fishermen at the time were earning if you put in what they were getting i remember doing it and you put it in today's wages they were actually earning about uh, i think it was something like 550 to 600 euros a week oh my god fair play my god yeah but that was a good year. Yeah. But it's interesting about that. And Mike just touched on it there. And because trolling and bricking is successful because you're imitating fish, is the, it's the bricking, and not the bricking, sorry, the minky and the humongous. And that's kind of opened up things in the last couple of years. You'd say so, Mike, yeah? Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. 
Well, I mean, you're imitating a, you know, a small fish really at the end of the day, you know, so, you know what I mean? I suppose. I, when you think of a Mike, there was none of that, like, to be honest, the, uh, 10, 15 years ago, it wasn't really that popular. You might have had a big bloody butcher. That's all you'd see. Yeah, you know? yeah, which basically is, you know, basically something like a, like a silver dabbler or what you'd say, you know what I mean? It's yeah. A, you know, it's a wet fly, but it is kind of an imitation of a, let's say, a small roach or something like that in, in a way, you know, with a silver body. So I suppose you're just taking it to the next level. And, you know, in fairness, that's progression in fly fishing as well. You know what I mean? It's like everything else. It, it does develop. It does change. And mm. a lot how of do you fish? Does... How do you fish? How do you fish them? Like, for example, when I fish, when I'm fishing uh, humongous or minke, I only like to fish one. How do you fish it? <sighs> I just like to put You're not, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I would. Humongous is, I am. Um, I'd probably fish two, to be honest. Yeah, with you, you fish two, yeah. yeah. I'd fish two, probably humongouses. Um, again, because obviously with a bit of weight on them and whatever else you'd normally be kind of fishing in, we'll say, off the shallows. Yeah. Um, yeah. Depends what line, really, at the end of the day. I mean, sometimes you could be just fishing an intermediate line, could be just perfectly fine if fish are up and um, right anything down to a DI7, DI5. But, like, it's hard work for a day. It's a lot of, a lot of cast, a lot of pulling. And, you know, minkies, sometimes it's, you can sometimes probably fish them. Yeah. <laughs> Something in minkies you could fish them kind of in conjunction with wets a lot of the time you know what I mean fish a smaller minky pattern and that you know and in around shallows but again it's just another development it's like like as I said at the beginning I mean what are trout feeding on in in February in La Carob they're feeding on hoglouse and probably you know what I mean the odd roach or fry pattern that is around small Sticklebacks. sticklebacks yeah. whatever that's yeah. that's around you know and I mean you know we've seen it on occasion there where you're having a slow day and you just go into a corner or a bay or whatever, and you're the next thing you just start meeting a few trout, and you normally find those trout are in bashing sticklebacks or something like that in a corner around around a couple of shallows. And like you could have brilliant action for half an hour. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and actually, because just the fish are there and they're active and they're, you know what I mean, at that time or moving on them, you know. And again, I think it just opens that whole area up that you know we all like to think about fish feeding on flies and mayflies and all of that but like you know fish feed on other fish as well do you know what I mean so yeah especially the bigger trout do you know what I mean so you know what I mean that is like early season you just don't have fly life they're not going to be up on the top of the water looking around for your mayflies and your olives and that so you know what I mean they're going to be down around the shop around the stones looking for shrimp or hoglouse or whatever or you know what I mean chasing a few fry around whatever you know what I mean that's 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 what there is. There isn't anything else, you know. I think that's brilliant advice for people to be listening to take away if they do decide to. You know, it's worth a shot, maybe in the in the first few weeks. It's only a couple of weeks now to go to the opening day. Um. So, Mike, very best of luck for the. Uh, for, I'm sure. Are you going to be out there on the opening day? Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> this is blowing again, and rain. <laughs> You'll still be there. <laughs> Cold red, Mike. Cold red. Well, Mike, best of luck for an opening day for the coming season, and um, thanks a million for joining us. I love it. No problem, Mike. Thanks a million. Thanks, Tom.
So my thanks to Mike Keely for joining us on the show. Um, really interesting conversation, really interesting discussion, especially the competition angle, um, which I found fascinating. So don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Ireland On The Fly podcast. We're on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, IrelandOnTheFly.com, as well as Instagram for any updates. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode soon enough, we hope, about the people and fl- places of fly fishing in Ireland. That's great, Tara. Listen, uh, thanks again to, to Mike. That was really good. Really good uh, to get some insight from him there. So uh, looking forward to talking to you again very soon.